have a Bible, please take it and turn to Luke chapter 16. We're going to finish up Luke chapter 16 with a familiar parable of Jesus, the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. It occurs only here um, in Luke 16. And we'll think about this parable. My family and I returned um, yesterday evening from visiting Illinois. We are with my wife's family. Um, my, we obviously continue to have children, and her sisters continue to have children, and so we're having trouble finding places that we can all fit. Um, but we did find, uh, uh, we, we went to the family farm, which has been in the family for nearly 150 years, I believe, um, that has been owned by um, the Winships for that long. That's uh, Andrea's maiden name. So we were all able to to go and to enjoy Thanksgiving there um, in the farmhouse. The farmhouse uh, had been occupied by um, Andrea's grandmother and grandfather. Her grandmother, as many of you know, passed away re- recently, uh, earlier this year. Uh, and so we were there, and it was just interesting to be there in the farmhouse without Grandma Berna there, um, but to be surrounded by her things. And so um, it was interesting because we're watching um, Andrea's Father and parents tried to think about now what do we do with this with this house and with all of the things and some of you have experienced this have have had parents pass away how do we we have all these things these memories and and now what do we do with this stuff um, and it's interesting it's it's valuable as it is connected to them but in some ways you think this is not valuable at all we don't really want some of this stuff it was valuable to them and there's this strange dichotomy do we get rid of this or do we keep it because well it was hers and and she liked it. And it just was this reminder of me of how death um, kind of puts all of our possessions and money into some sort of perspective, doesn't it? Uh, that it's so valuable to us in that moment. But then when we die, it's of, of no value to us. And so as we were at the house there, uh, Harold, Andrea's dad said, you're welcome to take whatever you would like, because, you know, if, if it would be of, of meaning to you, you can have it. Um, and so I actually ended up taking this, which I thought summed up so much of what um, was going on in that moment. And you have heard this before, but it was just um, beautifully ironic and poignant to me to see this little plaque, only one life which will soon be passed, only what's done for Christ will last. And as we're surrounded by all these things that, that last for now, but, but there will be a day when they won't last at all, yet still that whatever is done for Christ will last. And isn't that in part what Jesus has been teaching us here in, in Luke 16? Um, as he's been talking about uh, money and possessions in light of eternity. Or last week we talked about how do we think about money as, as, as children of the kingdom. We said we all have to deal with money. Everyone's got to... You have possessions, you have things that are yours, you, you gotta pay bills, so you gotta deal with money somehow, so this is all applicable to us. But, but here in this parable, Jesus is gonna give us another reason as to, to why we need to listen to this teaching. Jesus actually is going to show us that the, the fact that we are going to die is a reason that we need to think about money and possessions. And I think what the main idea that I would give us here in one sentence is death reveals the true riches and the truly rich. So death has a revealing aspect to it. Death reveals the true riches and the truly rich. So when when death comes, we realize what is most valuable. Is it the things that we have or is it what we believe and what we have invested in the kingdom of God? 
we're going to jump right into the parable. But before we do, as, as you look at it, as we get ready to read this, you'll notice there's, there's no introduction. There's no Jesus told this parable or Jesus said to the Pharisees. So it's, it's coming right on the heels of the teaching that we just looked at, that teaching that was pointed most directly at the Pharisees. And this parable is pointed most directly at the Pharisees, who we found out back in verse 14 were lovers of money. And so this parable is directed particularly towards them. These men and and probably women who invested only in themselves. Everything that they had was about them, their money and their possessions, and they did not invest in, in others. They did not use their money faithfully, as we saw in verses 10 through 13. They They were rich. How would a rich person hear this parable? Think about that. How would a rich Pharisee hear this parable? In fact, how should we hear this parable? How should we who live in the richest nation in the world, if not up there, how should we hear this parable? How should, how should we who often find confidence in possession, hear, possessions hear this parable? How, how should we who are much more like the rich man than Lazarus hear this parable? If you're going to identify with anyone in this parable, you're going to identify with the rich man probably. How should we hear this? Let's pray that God would give us ears to hear. Look with me at Luke 16, beginning in verse 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, Remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed and none may cross from there to us. And he said, then I beg you, father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets, let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to him, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Hmm. Death reveals the true riches and reveals those who are truly rich. The first thing that death sort of reveals as we look at this parable is is what we'll call the great reversal. The great reversal. The, the scene is, is what's set in the opening two verses, and it's a scene of, of what we might call present-day contrasts. So it's a, it's a picture of a rich man and a poor man. And we're told about this rich man that he was clothed in purple and fine linen. Purple and an expensive dye. This is probably his outer clothes. It's, it's symbolizes royalty in our day, and it probably was very much the same in his day. This, this 
coat, this outer garment would have symbolized how rich he was. And then it says fine linen, which as best I can from everything that I've read says it's probably referring to his undergarments. So this man had expensive underwear. <laughs> That's essentially what this is saying, that that he was dressed from head to toe. Every layer of him was was expensive, even down to, to his undergarments, this fine linen. And not only did he dress nice, but he ate well. He feasted sumptuously every day, like Thanksgiving every day. The word for feasted there is the, the word that the father uses in the parable of the prodigal son about let, let's gather together, let's celebrate, let's have this party. So this rich man has enough money that he can have a party every day. And he eats well every day and he dresses well every day. Then we see Lazarus. Lazarus, who was not in his own home, but in fact was laid outside of the gate of, of this man's large and luxurious home. And there in the shadow of the rich man's mansion, he is there and he is begging. And Lazarus is there and his stomach is aching. He's not aching for a, a lavish feast. He just wants crumbs. Just wants the crumbs that might fall off the table. Some people say that it may even even be referring to this piece of bread that they would use to to clean the table, and then they would throw that piece of bread out to the dogs, and that's what Lazarus was longing to be filled with that. Not only that, but his body is is covered with sores, some kind of ulcers, we might assume, and these sores are licked by unclean dogs day after day. That's a pretty pitiful scene, especially with these these dogs there. It could be that this is, you know, just adding insult to injury. But in fact, it might be that that the dogs are in fact the only creatures that are showing pity to Lazarus. That the dogs are there and the dogs are willing to lick these sores and maybe provide some kind of relief to this man as they lick his wounds. As they sit out there and you might even imagine that these dogs are his friends as they scrap together to get whatever ounce of food that they can find. Do you see the scene of, of contrast? That's what Jesus is setting. He's setting the scene for us here. There is a man who is rich, and there is a man who is poor. There is a man who is clothed in purple and fine linen, and there is a man who is clothed in sores and ulcers. There's a man who feasts sumptuously every day, and there's a man who just wants crumbs from that table and who is feasted on by dogs. I mean, can you imagine a more stark contrast than these two guys? They have nothing in common. We assume at this point, actually, that what what the Pharisees would have assumed is that in this parable, the rich man is going to be exalted. Obviously, he, he has... He's blessed. He's blessed with, with riches. Lazarus must have done something terrible to live like this. But Jesus is always surprising us. He's always surprising the Pharisees. And he brings out this key theme in Luke of the great reversal, the reversal that comes with the arrival of death. Proverbs tells us often that here's something that the rich and the poor have in common. They both die. And that's what happens here in this parable. We're, told that, we're first told that Lazarus dies... In verse 22, and he is carried by the angels to Abraham's side. 
He's carried to Abraham's bosom might be a better translation. We'll talk about that in a second because that seems a little strange. Um, but but this, this poor man is cared for by God in death. He has a name too. Isn't that interesting? That who, the rich man doesn't have a name, but Lazarus has a name. In fact, he's the only person in any of Jesus' parables that gets a name. And what Lazarus means is God has helped. And in death, God helps Lazarus, the man who no one helped throughout his whole life. He's taken to Abraham's bosom, it says. This is a phrase that refers to, to heaven, to the eternal state. Abraham, the great patriarch, the father of the, of the Jewish people, is said to be in this place. And the picture is of Lazarus, as it were, maybe laying his head on Abraham's chest. It signifies closeness. It signifies relationship and, and favor and blessing. It, if, it, it's the same idea that is used when John reclines at the table at the Last Supper and lays his head on Jesus' breast. This is, this is strange to us. It's not something that we're ever going to do at potluck. Um, no one's laying their head on each other's breast, but it's this, this symbol of, um, of closeness, of friendship, of, of acceptance, of love. And it was very common. And so there's this picture of, of Abraham there with, or of, of Lazarus there with, with Abraham. And, and it may even be the same kind of scene as in the Last Supper where they are at a feast. And Lazarus is there with Abraham in this place of comfort and of peace and of rest. The opposite of what he experienced on earth. But then there's the, the rich man. The rich man also died, it says. But it simply says that he was buried. I wonder if that might mean that Lazarus wasn't buried. If there was no one that, that really cared about Lazarus. There was no funeral for Lazarus. There's no marked stone that Lazarus has. But but this man, the rich man, was buried. His probably had a funeral of some kind where people talked well of him and all that he had done. But while that funeral was going on, his soul was taken to a place of torment, it says. A place that we see is filled with anguish, with, with flame. He is in hell. And whether the flames are real or not, the torture and the pain is, is real. You get the picture there. He's in Hades. He's in the realm of the dead. And he is in torment. He lifts up his eyes and he sees Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. I don't think that we should draw anything from this about the eternal state as to whether or not we will be able to see people in hell or people in hell will be able to see us. This is a parable. I don't know that we should stretch it that far. But for the sake of this parable, he sees Lazarus there, and he asks Abraham if he would send Lazarus to, to dip his finger in some water. If you can imagine what that's, if you've ever done that, dip your finger, the amount of water, and to bring that water and to touch this rich man's tongue, just to offer some small bit of relief. It's a picture of pain, of, of torture, of punishment, and he calls for relief. And you get this picture then that just as the rich man and Lazarus were complete opposites in life, the great reversal has come and they are complete opposites in death as well. That's how Abraham describes it for us. He says in verse 25, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted. But now, that's the key two words, but now he is comforted and you are in anguish. Now let's be very clear here, okay? 
Lazarus did not go to heaven because he was poor. In the same way that the rich man didn't go to hell because he was rich. You could draw that conclusion, but that is not what's going on here. Riches do not condemn us, and they don't save us. Which is kind of what Jesus has really been pushing, hasn't he? That the possession of earthly blessings has nothing to do with our eternal destiny. That's a big theme of this chapter. The possession of earthly blessings have nothing to do with our eternal destiny. Rather, what we're going to see later is that repentance is necessary. Repentance and faith is what determines where we, whether or not we will simply be buried or whether or not we will be carried by angels to a place of heavenly rest. Lazarus, it is not stated, but we must assume, based on the fact that he is in Abraham's bosom, that Lazarus was a man who had repented. He had repented of his sins. He saw his need of a Savior. Not just his need of food and shelter, but his need of forgiveness from sins. And he knew that. And he knew it well because of how poor he was. This is something that the rich man never saw. He never saw his need. And and even in his torment, he seems to have trouble seeing his own sin. Because he continues to see himself in some sort of exalted position. The way that he speaks to Father Abraham, it's as if Father Abraham is his peer. And what does he want? Send Lazarus. (laughs) Tell Lazarus to do this for me. Because he's below me and he should continue to serve me in some way. Send Lazarus to do this. This, he sees Abraham as his peer and Lazarus as his servant. This is why Jesus says it's hard for a rich person to get into heaven. Not because it's impossible, but because those who have the, the riches of this world do not see the need of a Savior. They, they think that they have everything figured out. They assume that they are blessed in this life and therefore they will be blessed in the next. But the great reversal is coming. As Luke keeps talking about this great reversal when things will be changed. The people that we think are so exalted now, the people that we turn on our television sets and they are the ones that everyone is talking about. They're on the magazine covers when you walk through the, the grocery store aisle. They're the people that have all of the money and they are exalted in this life. And in large part, they will not be exalted in the next. The great reversal will come. And the people that were on the magazine covers will not be the people that are exalted in heaven. It may be the person that we walk by on the street. It may be someone that we fed dinner to last Sunday night. That they will be the ones that are exalted in this life. It may be uh, the blessed prayer warriors that we don't even know about. That every day are praying for people. Maybe missionaries that are serving in far off places. That have no none of the, the goods of this world but have all of the riches of Christ. And, and what Jesus is saying is that when the, grace reversal, when, the, when the great reversal comes, we'll find out who was truly rich towards God and who was really poor in spirit and who will be exalted in this life. Who are the truly rich and what are the true riches? We'll find that out one day. But this man here, he was a lover of money. He lived only for himself and he invested only in the things of this world. He was not faithful to God with what he had. And so when the end comes, he has not repented. And he is in anguish. He is in pain. We've got to live in light of that great reversal, don't we? Because it gets so easy to just think, that the way things are now, the, the sort of, the social structure, the, the status that we have on this earth, that that's how it's gonna be one day. 
But the great reversal is coming. And, and tied to this, so the, we have the, what's revealed by death is the, the great reversal. But also what's revealed by death in this parable is the necessity of compassion in the now. The necessity of compassion in the now. So we see all these opportunities for compassion and the need for compassion. You see Lazarus is there at the gate needing compassion from a man who is able to give it and the man never gives it. And then he dies and Lazarus is shown compassion by God himself. Then the rich man is in need of compassion from God. And he does not receive it. And we're going to see even later on that he almost gets it at that point. Because what does he want to do? He wants to show compassion to his brothers who are in need. Please send someone to them to help them. But compassion in the next life, it doesn't exist. Uh, The opportunity is now. The, The time for compassion is now. And what is so chilling about this rich man's story is that he missed the opportunity to show compassion to a man who was at his gate every single day. Imagine how many times this rich man walked by Lazarus and did nothing for him. That's a call for us, isn't it? To think. Who are the people that are Lazarus in my life? Who are are the people that are outside my gate? Who, Who are the people that I have opportunity to bless with my possessions or with my time, with the things that I have been given? One commentator, Daryl Bach, says this, Love for God changes one's values, so that persons made in God's image become more valuable than things. Isn't that good? Persons made in God's image become more valuable than things. Money is a resource, not a reward. It is to be used, not hoarded. It is to serve, not become master. That's our problem, though. We get this all mixed up. We value things more than people. We think of money as a reward instead of a resource. We think that we're going to hoard all of our money rather than use it to bless others. It becomes our master rather than our servant. We have to think about the necessity of compassion now. And and if we would understand those who are outside our gate now, it will change how we live in this present. Because even in our day, there is this great disparity of wealth, isn't there? I'm not going economics or politics. I don't really know too much about that stuff. But I know that, that in our day and age, in our nation and in the world, there is a large disparity of wealth. And for the most part, everyone in here, compared to the rest of the world, is extremely rich. We are rich. We have money and we have possessions. And if that's the case, then the key is to find Lazarus. Who are the the people that are in need? We need to see them. This rich man never saw Lazarus. He was there. He may have seen him, but he did not see him as an opportunity for compassion. And we are surrounded by people in need. I think that's actually one of the difficult things about the age that we live in, isn't it? I mean, we have information overload. We could not only know about all the needs in the world, but there are actually opportunities to help so many vast number of people. It's a blessing and a curse in so many ways. So we have to figure out who exactly is it that God is placing outside of my gate? Who is he calling me to show compassion to? Because there are, we're not lacking in opportunity. 
if you feel like you're lacking an opportunity, then you're suffering from the blindness of the rich man because there's people all over outside of our gates that are, that are, that are available to show compassion to. And I think that's where it comes back to verses 1 through 9, something that uh, Joshua brought out in our small group recently, which is it's not only to be shrewd with that we should invest, but also how we invest, that we need to, to be discerning to, and to think about not simply that we should give, but how are we going to give? Who should we help? What is the best way to help? We need to be shrewd in that, but we we got to do it. We can't just ignore. Because the opportunity for compassion is is now. There is no opportunity for compassion later. I, I praise God for our church, though. I, I think... It, uh, a year ago is when we first did our first Thanksgiving meal. And to see the way that, that we've had opportunity to reach out into our neighborhood and to show compassion to those in need. And, and I, I thank God. I know that some churches would, would push against that. But, but by God's grace, you all have embraced this neighborhood and welcomed people into this place and, and invited people and shown compassion. I thank God for the past two Sundays with Operation Christmas Child where we bought 50 boxes because I thought that would be plenty and we ran out because of the generosity and the compassion and the love of this church. And then last Sunday when everyone not only got a meal but at least got one box to take home because everyone gave of their time and of their resources. And that is compassion. If you ever think about... uh, I remember after our first community picnic, I told uh, my wife, you know, if we had never felt like we fulfilled uh, uh, the end of, of Matthew 25, where he says, you know, to when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. If we never felt like we did that, we did that that day. And if you never felt like that, then if you participated in what we did last Sunday night, you were a part of compassion. And there was you seize the opportunity in the now to help the Lazaruses that surround us. So thank you. Let's keep doing it, right? (laughs) But also, I think we need to think about it personally, not just as a church too, right? Especially on this Sunday between Black Friday and Cyber Monday, right? (laughs) Everyone's telling us to buy things for ourselves. Go get the good deals. Figure it out, you know. Buy things now. Or even buy things for other people. How are we going to leverage our money in... In a Christmas season that often focuses on materialism, how are we going to use it in a way that blesses the Lazaruses that surround us? Is there a way to do both? I think we need to be shrewd. I think we need to be discerning. We need to think about that. Because we all are very rich. And I give you 100% um, authority to not give me anything for Christmas. <laughs> and, and if you want to... We, you're welcome to it. I don't want to, I don't want to be Scrooge and there's this balance, isn't there, that we gotta figure this out. There's a way to bless people that we love with gifts. And there's also a way to bless the poor in this season. One of the coolest gifts that I got last Christmas was that my sister made a donation to Show Hope, which is an organization that, that helps orphans and she made it, um, that was my gift, was a card. I made a donation in your name to Show Hope. I remember that gift very clearly. I'm not sure if I remember everything else that I got for Christmas last year, but I remember that. There are ways to give to we who have so much that are actually a greater blessing. I remember one uh, Christmas I gave to my dad. I, I helped pay for a um, the translation of a Bible into a language that did not have God's Word, because my dad loves God's Word, and I remember giving him that, and how much he loved the thought of that, that this had been, that the money had not been spent on him, but had been spent on someone else 
in his honor. Let's be shrewd and think about that. Again, I'm not, I'm not trying to say don't give any gifts. There's a way to give gifts that, that, that is healthy and that is good. And, and we love one another and, and God gives us wealth so that we can bless others. But there's also ways to be shrewd and ways to be discerning and ways to bless Lazarus as we bless others. So if you went out on Black Friday, you are not condemned. <laughs> if you buy something on Cyber Monday, you are not condemned. But let's just think. There's, there's ways to use our finances to bless others and to bless the, those that are in need. Let's be shrewd. Because the opportunity for compassion is now. We will have no other opportunity once death comes. One other thing I want to say about that I think Jesus says here about um, what death reveals to us, that death reveals the hardness of an unbelieving heart. Death reveals the hardness of an unbelieving heart. I think this man, while he understood, he did not understand what had happened. This rich man never had compassion on Lazarus. And yet, in this instant, he wants to have compassion on his brothers. He wants compassion to be shown to these five brothers that, that he has. Apparently, they were on the same path that he was, and he wants someone to go back from the dead. He wants Lazarus to go back from the dead to convince them. But Abraham's response is, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. His response is that the revelation they have is sufficient. So the, the, the sufficiency of the revelation that they have, it, it's enough. They, they have enough. They, and, and we're not talking the revelation of Jesus in the Gospels in the New Testament. He's saying Old Testament, they got enough. They have enough revelation to understand it. I think that, that what he's saying is that, in, in part, nothing will convince someone who is that hard in heart. The hardness of an unbelieving heart is not against just certain revelation. It's against all revelation of God. That they'll find a way to rationalize away anything that is brought to them. And Jesus is saying, you don't need another witness. You have a witness. Many people want more, right? I want to see Jesus. Why can't he just show up for me? I want to see some sort of sign, visible thing from God. And Father Abraham says, you got the Old Testament. What more do you want? There's a sufficiency in God's Word. I think we, have, we should have a confidence in God's Word that it is sufficient to break the hardest of hearts. And that a resurrection is not even necessary, he says here. But we know that's true because of another Lazarus, right? There was another Lazarus that died, and this Lazarus did come back from the dead. And in response to that Lazarus' resurrection, there is a number of people that believe but you know what? There's also a number of people that just get more angry, so angry, in fact, that they say, we're going to kill Jesus, and we're going to kill Lazarus a second time. Let's hope he stays dead this time. That's how upset we are about this whole thing. So the resurrection, it didn't even do anything for them. So, but, but in the midst of that, it's not only the sufficiency of the revelation, but also think about this, the compassion of God's revelation, that he says that's sufficient. But you and I have four Gospels and the rest of the New Testament that he's given to us. And we have Jesus risen from the dead. He says, it won't matter, but I'll continue to give. I'll give more and more and more revelation. You can't help but think about Jesus in that phrase. If they don't hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. But, but God breaks 
hard hearts, doesn't he? God takes hearts that reject all of this and he will transform them into hearts of of flesh. So if you're someone who just says, I need more and more revelation, and, and you say, Old Testament's not enough, and I say, well, what about the Gospels, this picture of Jesus, that's not enough. What about the resurrection, that's not enough. I pray that God would just break your heart, that you would see He has given you enough. He has given you this revelation of who He is. There's nothing more that you can ask from Him. He has given us it all. And I pray that God would soften your heart and break your heart. So death, it's this thing, it has a revelatory effect. It reveals things. When death comes, it reveals that there's this great reversal that's going to happen. Those that are exalted in this life are not necessarily going to be exalted in the next. And those that nobody knows anything about will be raised up and seated before Christ in exalted positions because they have invested in true riches. We see that death reveals that the the opportunity for compassion is now. The, the rich man finally figured it out after he died. Oh, I should have been more compassionate. But we have this to say, that's going to be you unless you start now. And that's going to be us. We need to show compassion now. The time for compassion is now. And not only that, but we see the, the hardness of, of a heart that's hardened against the gospel we need to keep praying that God would break hearts. But one thing I haven't mentioned, that just as we close here, is that when, when death comes, it is irreversible. And the consequences of this life that follow us into the next, they cannot be atoned for. I'm not going to draw tons of theology about, about my eternal state from this, but I think it's very clear that there is no concept of, of purgatory here. There's no concept of paying your dues and then getting out of hell. He rather says that there is an unbridgeable chasm between heaven and hell, and he says it is fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. That there, No one can exchange places once the end comes, once death comes and you go to your eternal residence, that's where you will be. There is no escaping from that. But that's why this is so beautiful, because there is hope now. There is hope. Jesus gives us these wonderful glimpses that, that should frighten us to a certain extent. And because there is hope that if if we would die in our sins, that we will be like this rich man in torment. But if we would place our hope, if we would repent, as he says here, if we, if we would repent according to the revelation that Jesus has given us, this revelation that he has come as the light of the world, that he has come to pay the penalty for sin, to rise again, to give us new life. If we would repent and believe in him, then the great reversal when it comes, we will be exalted. We will be taken to be with him forever. He compassionately gives us sufficient and more than sufficient revelation more than enough information to turn and to trust in Him. So there is hope. If you have not turned yet, then turn now. There is hope. Don't die as this rich man did, never having turned. And I think there's hope for us too. 
There's hope for those of us who have grown a little selfish. We've grown a little bit uncompassionate. We're not as generous as we could be. There's, there's hope now to invest in eternal friends, to be faithful with all that we've been given, to, to see the poor and the lame and the crippled and the blind that are laid outside of our gate and to serve them in the name of Jesus. We have the opportunity right now to do that. And this parable is meant to awaken in us that the need for compassion is is now. We said that George Bailey from It's a Wonderful Life exemplifies uh, verses 1 through 9. You remember that, that he's a guy that took his money and invested it to make eternal friends. And at the end, he was the richest man in town because he had friends. There's another great Christmas story that shows us the rich man and Lazarus, and it's Charles Dickens' A Christmas Carol, isn't it? That, that Ebenezer Scrooge is this, this guy who is beyond rich. And what does he do with it all? He hoards it for himself. He will not give. The people come and they, they're asking for, for help for the poor in the Christmas season. And he says, let them go to the poor house. I'm not giving you any of my money. And he's this miserly old curmudgeon. Maybe you know that story. If you know the story, then, then he's visited by these three spirits, right? The ghost of, of Christmas past, the ghost of Christmas present, and the kicker, the ghost of Christmas yet to come. And, and Scrooge has it, as it were, the experience of this rich man, but in a dream, that he realizes how he had not invested anything, and in Christmas future, I hope I'm not ruining the story for anyone, Scrooge dies. And he sees that no one cared a lick for him after he died because he had not done anything to show compassion to anyone else. And there's that scene where, where he's there in the graveyard and maybe you've seen it in different film versions or play versions and he's in front of the tombstone and he wipes the snow off of it and it says there, Ebenezer Scrooge. And he, he had died in, in the future, in this Christmas future. And, and he repents. He says, let me go back. Let me let me live again. I will I will change. I will be different. I will show compassion. I will let the spirit of Christmas live in me all the year long. And he wakes up in his bedchamber and he rejoices that he has been given the chance, that he has been given this glimpse into what he was like and how if he would turn, if he would change, how he could know this this joy. I think that's part what Jesus wants us to do here. He wants us to be like Scrooge and sort of to kneel before your tombstone and to say, if I die, what have I done? Have I invested in people? Have I shown compassion? Have I used my possessions to, to bless those are in need? Am I seeing the Lazaruses that surround me? Because if we don't now, there will be no opportunity later and we will regret it. We will wish that we would have done more to help those in need, to bless one another even. And so maybe as you watch that, movie this year, you might think about the rich man and Lazarus, and you might take an eternal lesson from this, that death is the great revealer, and it's going to reveal something, and we have the chance now to take a peek and to realize what it's going to reveal in us. So, I remind you again, that's only one life. It will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's take a moment of silence. Jesus, 
We thank you for your kindness in telling us this story. It is not mean for you to speak of, of heaven and hell. It is, it is so compassionate, so kind that you would do that. Lord, so thank you. Thank you for showing us what really matters. Lord, even as we show compassion, but forgive me for neglecting to emphasize that the greatest compassion we can show is to tell others the good news, to tell others that, that Jesus has come to offer forgiveness of sins if we would repent and believe. So, Lord, as we show kindness with our possessions, may we show it with our, with our words, with our mouths, that we would be bold to proclaim the gospel, that you would be exalted in all that we do. Lord, so thank you for this peak. This reminder that we will all die. And in that day there will be a great reversal. Lord, help us to be on the right side of that by faith. That we would be trusting in you and pursuing hard after you. Lord, help us to show compassion while there is time. And I pray for anyone in here whose heart is still hard. Lord, that they may not see with their eyes, but they would see with their hearts the resurrected Christ. And that they would bow their knee and submit to Him, confess their sins, repent, and believe in You for salvation. Lord, we thank You for Jesus. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.